0: Welcome inside the Legends Legends Lounge, Lounge. where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Lounge open, Lana's back, I'm back, and most of who we have spoken to in the lounge this year, and you can go back wherever you get your podcasts or on Sirius Archives to find previous interviews. they don't like expire per se by the way it's not like it's something you have to listen to on that very date documenting the lives of so many great people in baseball history this one is I, this might be too much alana can probably take me back like it's not like a living legend it's just somebody it's a living pioneer let's put it that way somebody she wouldn't even want to be called that because she has so much left that she wants to accomplish and she's young too you can make fun of her the same way you do with me like you know in her 30s doing all this stuff in the game so rachel balkovec part of the Yankees organization, and now a manager in the minor leagues is who we are very fortunate to talk to as she's got a unique perspective on the game and, and can't wait to get it into things with her, Alana. Not just about, I think you're on the same page with me on this, not just about what makes her so special and what she needs to do and say to young women um, that are aspiring to be in the game, but also just like your job in general is hard. So what's that like?
1: I couldn't agree with you more. She's a living pioneer. And typically, you look up to people in terms of people that you admire and that inspire. You look up to people that are older than you. And Rachel Balkovic is considerably younger than me. And I just hope to be one one hundredth of the person that she is when I grow up. I mean, her resume, Scott, as you know, and we'll get into it here on The Lounge, is So incredible. And to your point, not only is she doing it in a male-dominated field for one of the most storied franchises in all of sport, not just Major League Baseball, all of sport in the New York Yankee system, she's done so much more and she's had such success in a lot of variety, a lot of different uh, areas in in life, in in strength and conditioning and managing and in language and and all kinds of things. She's really a, a tremendous person to have on this podcast.
0: I agree. Can't wait to talk to her. Um, I'd spoken to her once before. Now she's got that like manager perspective, which, you know, probably will mean that she's used to talking more frequently. Cause she's talking to her players all the time. And also, yeah, there is significant experience and stories to look back on um from what she's doing currently versus some of the things she's done in the past, like Alana said, the, the degrees and and the international time and the strength and conditioning. Like we need the time to to spend here with Rachel. So let's bring her in the lounge. This guest entering the lounge is a pioneer in inspiration, also just a superstar coach in baseball, highly qualified. I was going through the resume. It took me a while. It's Ridiculous! It's incredible, but highly qualified to lead a squad, teach players about the game. She became the first female to hold a full-time hitting coach role when she got the job with the Yankees to start spring training. That was in 2020. What a fun year that was 2020. I met her on a TV interview during the 2021 futures game. She was on the coaching staff. There's a good story there too. We'll get to, and just keeps making history manager of the a ball Tampa tarpins an affiliate of the New York Yankees. And that makes her the first female to manage in affiliated baseball. So we want to talk through everything with her. Otherwise I could spend, as Alana knows, probably 10 more minutes on the impressive educational degrees, deep background in baseball from the U.S. to the Dominican Republic, even the Dutch national team. Rachel Balkovec is in the lounge. Rachel, how'd I do? I tried to like get that all in there, but I'm like, I actually want to spend, you know, 28 minutes talking to Rachel (laughs) and not just going over all of the different experiences you've had in the game.
2: I really actually appreciate uh, you kind of mentioning those things because it seemed like definitely in 2019, when I was hired by the Yankees, it was kind of like, here's Rachel Valkovic. She came out of nowhere. Um, And I actually think some backlash was, you know, was happening because of that. It was kind of like, Oh, where does this girl come from? And um, there's definitely, like you said, a really deep background in baseball from, you know, uh, dating 10 to 15 years ago now. So um, I appreciate you mentioning those things.
1: Rachel, it's oftentimes easier to say that you admire somebody that's older than you, someone that has, uh, you know, some years on you, you're younger than me, and I have a tremendous amount of uh, respect and admiration for you and you are an inspiration in your own right but I do want to ask you this just from woman to woman no disrespect Scott you know I love you but are you tired of answering the same questions? Are you tired of saying, you know, um, uh, the first of this, the first of that, I, I asked you from my own experience with that, but I think Scott actually brought up a really good point when we were off air, just talking about, we're never going to progress unless we just normalize this and, and just move forward. Um, yeah, but we're not there yet, you know? So
2: I, I am, to be frank with you, I am tired about, of answering questions, but um, I don't, it doesn't matter, it's my job. You know, and so I don't think like even when I first first got into professional baseball in 2012, um, I just understood that it's like it's it's another part of my job. And I can't say that I'm tired. I don't want to do interviews or now I don't want to sign autographs or I don't want to take the time to speak to a young woman uh, or a a little girl or or a little boy, whatever. Um, That would be really selfish of me. And also just it would be disrespectful to women who've come before me um, in different roles to say, oh, I don't want to do that or. I don't have time for that, which sometimes I don't have time, (laughs) but uh, as much as I can make time for or much as I can do, it's just, it's a part of the job that I signed up for. And I really believe that. So as much as I'm tired of talking about it, I'll talk about it until we don't need to anymore.
0: How much do you enjoy? Because I know also you didn't get into or correct me if I'm wrong, get into the game, of course, because of that, you're into the game for the reasons of loving the game and having a deep background in the game and knowing this game and having strength and conditioning backgrounds and and educational backgrounds, which we can dive into some of those specifically. But do you enjoy the time when you just kind of can get lost into an interview or a question or sit down with someone just talking about the game? Because it still is a heavy burden on your shoulders to always, you know, have that side of things where you are a pioneer in the industry.
2: I mean, I do that every day at work. So it's not, you know, like we don't talk about me being a pioneer every day at work. So it's (laughs) like, we talk about baseball, we talk about how we can better develop players. And um, it rarely comes up, you know, that I'm a woman, unless it's like something funny, you know, like, I mean, at this point, it's just, I get shit all the time at work (laughs) you know, about something being a woman, but it's, it's obviously all good fun and, and never offensive. And I have a lot of respect with the Yankees. Uh, so it's not a bad thing. It's just like the topic of me becoming the first of something is not ever brought up at work. So I get plenty of baseball talk and um, talking shop at work and, and just doing my job. So there's never a lack of that.
1: I think so much of being a manager and you certainly would know more than I having never done it myself is being able to communicate with your players and manage different personalities. There's not one mold for every guy on your team. And I admire the fact that you taught yourself Spanish because this is such an international game. And especially at the, um, you know, the minor league level and affiliated baseball coming up to try to get to the big leagues, you really got to get to know players because character is so important. Why did you take that on? um to learn Spanish you mean Mm -hmm. or to be a manager To
2: learn Spanish yeah I I like to always correct people when they say you taught yourself Spanish because I I always give the credit to the players you know the players taught me Spanish um I definitely knew nothing when I got into professional baseball and um I would say just as you mentioned though like something different that I definitely have done in my career is just dive into I'm gonna be fluent in Spanish you know I I don't want to just get by with the whole oh como estas papi like you know the The Spanish that some people say, oh, well, you know, I I know enough to get me by. And I just never thought that was good enough because obviously you can kind of you can get by or you can truly communicate and get to know somebody. And that's totally different. Those things are very different. Um, And the players see that the players see that you're invested in them. And especially early on when there were no women around, you know, it was a phenomenal way for me to connect with the players and for them to immediately know that I was serious about uh, my job and just really helping them. Uh, and so immediately when I got into baseball, I just knew that that was something that I was going to be good at and that I wasn't going to just settle for the bare minimum. Um, and obviously it's also opened up opportunities for me for other roles and to travel to the Dominican Republic, to be a Latin American strength and the conditioning coordinator. Uh, it's just opened up opportunities for me in many ways, uh, specific, like most importantly, to develop relationships with the players um, that are kind of hard to reach sometimes. And, you know, for me to be able to get to a point where I can I hate to say it like this, but when you need to have a tough conversation with a player and, and be real with them about something that they're not doing right, it doesn't sit as well if you have to have a translator there. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that I can just straight up have a, a difficult conversation, that's actually one of the most important times, um, you know, to, to give them a high five or a good job, that's easy. But when you have to have a tough conversation with something that needs to be adjusted to be able to, ha- to communicate in both languages is, is wildly important
0: public service announcement for anyone that wants to get in the game. And I always say this, when someone comes up to me, they're like, what should I do? Especially when they're on the younger side and like, you're not thinking about college yet as a kid. And let's say you're just playing little league, whatever. I'm like, learn Spanish, learn Spanish, pay attention in school to that. That's my one regret of anything that if I paid attention, just a little bit more in school in one topic, like actually throw away most of the other ones, no offense, but like geometry is not really doing much for me these days. (laughs) I wish I just spent like all of my time and energy there. So what age did what age were you at that point that you actually picked that up because it's not easy to pick up a second language and be fluent at um at age past i mean i don't know i think it's easier when you're a kid of course to learn a language so like what age did you pick it up and, and how did you learn and i know you said the players but also like did did you have one of those programs like the rosetta stones with you no
2: um i was 24 when i first got into the game i'm 35 now to give you an idea um mm-hmm and i would say i was i was competent in the weight room coaching by the end of one season and that was just literally asking writing it down um we uh smartphones were like just starting to be a thing when i got into baseball so there was no duolingo there were no app there was an app for that so <laughs> google translate <laughs> yeah google translate definitely i would like show up prepared um with whatever i wanted to talk about for that day i would i would google it and then write it down and sound like an idiot you know and that was part of it but then you sound like an idiot and they're laughing and they're coaching you and it creates this level of connection where you know they're not the ones the only ones that are learning so when they as anyone knows anyone this is this is universal as anyone knows when you're in some kind of coaching teaching relationship where you're able to help each other it bonds you you know where you're vulnerable with them and you're not the only person who's coaching and telling them to do something that's difficult for them you're also doing something that's difficult for you. And they get to see you fail and sound like an idiot and be vulnerable Um, and they get to coach you. And so it was a phenomenal way again, to build relationships. And I really just like, was me being willing to sound like an idiot often um, and get corrected by the players, um, ask questions, Google, et cetera. And again, like it took me one summer to get the coaching in the weight room down. And then it's just been a slow build from there for 10 years. And I still wouldn't say that I'm fluent, but I can, you know, I can give a speech and and say dang near anything that I need to to a team, you know.
1: What is the most challenging part of what you do as a manager? What's not
2: challenging is the <laughs> is the question. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's definitely. Oh God! Again, it's like so many things popped into my mind right there. I I think that the misnomer, like this year, the feeling of which is like. I get hired as a manager and everyone's like, yay, your manager. And they're like, can't we just see you in the big leagues? And I'm like, I'm so fucking far from that. Like, okay. you, might have to, you might have to edit this podcast, but it's like, I have so much to learn, you know, and just things you, you think, you know, the game and it's like, I don't know shit. Like there's yep. so many rules, so many nuances, so many things that I have to pick up. Um, and I would like to tell you that's this fairy tale, like everything's great and everything's fine. But realistically, I'm just like drinking from a fire hose every single day, uh, which has gotten better as the season's gone on. But um, just learning a ton about game management and understanding what needs to happen and when and and thinking three innings ahead and and, you know, nine outs ahead and understanding what you need to know before it happens and considering ten of situations. So uh, it's just been a really it's all been difficult, you know. Um, I think that the thing has not been as difficult is the coaching aspect because realistically I've been coaching for 10 plus years so uh, those things are all transferable from strength conditioning to hitting to now as a manager and and I'm over base stealing and outfield and um, the coaching aspect is transferable Uh, pretty much everything else is not so (laughs) lots of learning this year which was you know which I expected and, and so did the Yankees so
1: You brought up such a good point in game management, and I'm not trying to compare what I'm about to say to what you're doing right now, but Scott and I were doing this uh, simulated game in which he would present scenarios and I had to decide we I I picked two teams I used to cover the Colorado Rockies and I most recently covered the Los Angeles Dodgers so I had those teams to going up against one another. I want to say it was the 2020 Dodger team and then the uh 2007 Colorado Rockies team that went to the World Series but then ended up getting swept by the Red Sox and we had to come up with these game situations and I was like you think you know what you're gonna do and in that split second You're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't have an, I don't have an idea what I'm going to do in the next inning, let alone three innings from now. And looking at the, you know, the order, you know, where you are in the order and who's still left in your pen. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I had so much more of an appreciation for managers in that situation than I ever thought I would have. I, I don't know how, how you do it. I mean, I guess it's just a matter of you do it to learn how to do it. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I've had a lot of support, thankfully. Uh, but also in the minor league system, it's a lot more like pitching management. It's a lot more about pitch count than it is about who you need to get. A, you know, so it's it's definitely a little bit easier. Well, it's a lot easier um, at the minor league level and the major league level, in my opinion. Um, and I've had a ton of support. Uh, but like I said, just still a lot of learning, uh, which is exactly what I thought was going to happen. A lot of learning. <laughs>
0: And that's out of the park baseball. That's good. That was so it's a manager simulation game, which it's it's awesome. It's so fun to play, even with like former players, too, where they'll go, damn, I I didn't know how tough it was for my skipper. Like it's it is it's stressful. There's so much more chess going on, I think, than people realize. You're not just chilling and writing a lineup card. So has your (laughs) brain evolved and changed. Like for example, I'll use another Alana and I example in the TV world where like I can't watch most television the same anymore since I've been, you know, a, a pro in the business or an adult in my real world life now in television, if you want to call it real world. But you know, I'll watch a show and it's like, oh, I know that they don't know where they're going yet and they're waiting for the producer to tell them or there was some type of graphic mistake or they have to get to break and they're trying to end the interview, whatever it is do you watch, say, if you're watching, kicking back, watching a Yankee game, are you like thinking ahead now and going, okay, this is what I would do in that scenario?
2: Yeah, it just gives you a different lens. Like it just gives you a much broader lens. And also just from the personnel standpoint of like players moving up and down and um, trades and not, you know, just like you have a more bird's eye view and you understand, okay, it's really not about who's having the best season. I mean, the major league level it is, but from the minor league perspective of developing prospects and letting prospects play, even though they might have be having a really tough season, it's like they, they need to get at bats and they might get better by playing even if they're not, you know, the best player out there right now. And so again, managing personalities and kind of understanding the whole system and where everybody fits in is really a different perspective that I didn't have before.
0: Who do you turn to? So, do you have mentors manager wise? Are there any names that either you're even, it could be some that you actually communicate with or just some that you like enjoy watching and seeing how they go about doing their job, whether it's in game management, developing players, media, which is a huge part of the job, especially as you rise through the ranks? The amount of managers I talk to that are like, damn like big league managers where it's their first time at the job and they're like I didn't realize how often I have to speak to the public and watch my words and yeah twice a day and depending on the market you're in you're you're getting pummeled every day with questions and there's a whole psychology game to how they want to answer about a certain player if you're struggling or not so yeah do you have people that you look towards or talk to
2: um there's definitely like a few major league managers that reached out several uh, more than several major league managers that reached out when i was hired including obviously boone um i won't mention other names but just yeah there's some people who more so from like a human being uh side of things of just like how do you manage things and less of the in game thing uh thankfully i've had a ton of media experience from the time that I was like 25 when I first got in baseball and started doing just podcasts and small interviews and understanding, again, how to watch your words <laughs> and what you say uh, can always come back, especially these days with Twitter. Um, so having a bit of experience there has been really helpful, obviously, but definitely even outside of professional baseball, people you know in the college ranks, college coaches that I respect, um, even outside of baseball, and I'll just mention like Anson Dorrance, who's one of the most successful Uh, head coaches of all time across every single sport in history that gets probably overlooked a little bit. The head coach of UNC women's soccer, um, just drawing from him on his leadership skills. And um, I mean, it's not, it's not one realm. It's really just, again, these things are universal. Like being a head coach in any situation um, is pretty universal across all sports. And so there's, there's people in, in every corner of the earth that you can think of and uh, definitely a lot in baseball, um, but also outside of baseball, just leadership. I
1: have a two part question. If you don't mind, Rachel first is you're probably the only woman in your organization and probably the only one that travels would be my guess. Uh, where, do, where do you, where do you find balance when you're on the road? I, you know, again, speaking from experience, I used to travel with a big league club everywhere they went. And it's not like you can just pull up chair at the bar and have a conversation with, um, a male, a male coach, perhaps obviously it's different for you as the manager because you have a staff, but where, where do you go to, uh, you know, where do you turn to when you have to have some sort of life work balance, particularly on the road?
2: I mean, I feel comfortable going anywhere with a male coach, um, out now. I think that was like definitely on my mind a lot more when I was younger and first getting in the game. Uh, where it was like, Oh, what's, you know, what is so what someone you think? And I definitely had several situations where I have a, a friend of uh, uh, another coach that I got close with. And then there's rumors circulating that we're dating. And, you know, it's like, now, I don't know, uh, this is my 11th year in the game. And I just don't give a fuck anymore. Like, I don't know, I have a reputation of professionalism. And if you don't, know that, then you don't know that. But I I think my reputation is strong enough now after over a decade being, you know, on, on the coaching side of things on field side of things that I don't think anyone's really worried about that. And if you are, then you just don't know me, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's that, you know, on the road, if I want to go have a dinner with a coach, I don't worry about it, you know? Yeah. Um, but also I, I think it's prevalent, but that's not the same for all women who are maybe just starting their careers as a coach and Getting their feet wet and they're 24. And when you're the player's age or you're younger, like it, it gets a little tricky. So I definitely felt at times extremely lonely. Um and like I couldn't have a normal life. Um I still feel that way at times. You know, I'm I'm dating someone who's in the industry and it's a complete secret, you know, and, and it's like I could share, I want to share that to let people know that it is uh personal, personal life gets very tricky yeah. um, in this situation. So there's still some times where I I feel lonely or like, I have no one to go to. Uh, but at the same time, you also have a work-life balance. Like I don't have a work-life balance right now, you know, which was my just, next
1: question. That's that was okay. no. what I was going to ask you. And I feel like, you know, the no. older you get in life, you'll find that, but it's like when you're trying to raise, you know, rise up the ranks. And so it, there it's no. important to have balance. And I was wondering if you had any,
2: I do, I do, but I just think I take it in perspective of in season. I don't have a work-life balance, but I would say like my, you know, I've already got, six weeks of, of travel all over the world planned for December. (laughs) So I just think of it as like normal people take weekends and have a drink every night or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm black and white, you know, I don't have really anything going on in the season. Um, and then in the off season, I'll allow myself time to just completely fall off the map and, uh, the less self-service, the better type of thing (laughs) after winter meetings, basically. So, um, I just believe in like putting that all together. And then, you know, in season, I don't really want a lot of distractions or things. And my family, and my friends know that, and it's just it accepted part of, of the industry and the business. And, um, I do, I would say I do have a work-life balance. I just probably balance it out a lot different than, than most.
0: It's very, rollover season, days. very
1: seasonal work-life balance. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> rollover days—they just roll over, and eventually yes, you use yes. them all in, in one big chunk, which is great. <laughs> yeah, that could be awesome yeah. too, because you could really disappear for a while. Okay, yes. this—I don't. We don't have time to go through the entire like resume and all of the. I mean, there's degrees. There's different countries, so I'm, I'm going to put the ball in your court to an extent, just to start with. Most impactful job or experience, and and if you want to bring up, there's no rules here, if you want to bring up multiple too, but I mean there's so much on here that I was going through in terms of your background both yeah both school-wise but then also job-wise really getting like an amazingly eclectic mix and you mentioned some of it like for example being in the dr but i mentioned you know working with the dutch national team and then also getting degrees like in kinesiology and exercise science i know there's strength and conditioning there so so i'll i'll let you take it where you want to go because you can speak to it much better than me i feel like i'm you know <laughs> i'm not able to talk at the college level like that anymore but but you've got degrees on top of degrees compared to someone like me
1: I can't even pronounce where you went to school in Amsterdam (laughs) (laughs) yeah like can't do it
2: yeah um I think uh I'll go kind of two things just on on ends of the spectrum where I think definitely one of the most impactful things that I did was be a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach at LSU for two years and you know what what is lost in professional baseball at the minor league level is the need to win Right. So it, it's great to win, you know, but at the same time, our organization, like I'm not being evaluated on whether or not we we win the championship for the Florida State League. You know, um, I'm being evaluated on whether I'm able to develop our players that are in the minor league system to get them ready for the next level. Um, and that's sometimes those go hand in hand and sometimes they don't. Sometimes, you know, we have a, a very young, raw team and, you know, we're fighting for a playoff spot. but We may not even make it. You know, that's not, not something that we want. Uh, but at the same time it's more important to let players get reps and experiences than it is to play the best team to win the game um so all that to say winning is kind of like lost you know at the minor league level and so that pressure to win doesn't really present itself in the professional ranks until you get to the major league level and so for me to start my career at the college level and especially at lsu where Um, go Tigers, you know, where (laughs) it's the expectation is to win uh, for all sports, you know, so if you're not winning in women's tennis, your ass is on the line as a coach. So as a strength coach, I got to experience six different teams and baseball and softball were two of those. And it was just so cutthroat. So uh, everything mattered, you know, and to have that level of pressure and expectation to win was phenomenal for me as a young coach to see just how winners act and think um, and just present themselves as coaches uh, definitely fit my personality. And that's just who I am as a person. Anyway, I'm very competitive. I want to win. But also to have that from the coaching side of things for two years at LSU was extremely vital uh, before I got into professional baseball and to minor league baseball specifically, where that's not as prevalent. So from a cultural standpoint, from a winning standpoint, that was really important for me. And then from just the more like technical side of things uh, was definitely, I would say with the Astros where they were really at the front of some things Um, and everyone can make the jokes about, yeah, they were the front of uh, banging on a trash can. Okay. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay. Uh, But they, you know, all kidding aside, it's like, look, they're still kicking everyone's ass and they're getting booed in every stadium and they're still doing it, you know? And so it's like, okay, maybe that that was uh, unscrupulous, but also like they did something right for like five years that they continue to just pump out prospects or pump out, major league players from their minor league system. And that's a, that's a result of the foundations of what they did five to six years ago when they were at the front of TrackMan, they were at the front of Blast Motion, they were at the front of, of ed- using edutronic cameras uh, when nobody knows, knew what those were. And so they just got such a head start on player development uh, when a lot of teams were not investing in that. So thankfully I was uh, there 16 to 18 and just got to really witness that transition. Um, and take a perspective of using objective information to both evaluate and also to develop players. So that's actually where I got the job. That's where it kind of came from, where my, one of my mentors Dylan Lawson, who's now the current major league hitting coach for the Yankees. He was a minor league hitting coach with the Astros. Um, He kind of took me under his wing, taught me about some hitting stuff and was like, you're more than just a strength coach. Like you can play different roles. He encouraged me to, uh, dive into what I did in Amsterdam, which was eye tracking uh, for hitters to understand how the eyes and the brain interact to basically allow a hitter to see a pitch. Uh, if you're ever wondering how a hitter hits a 90 ml per hour two seam, like, you know, it's there's a lot more than just a swing there. So he was definitely a huge mentor of mine and actually ended up hiring me with the Yankees in 2019. So I would say the Astros organization and just some key mentors that I had there were were wildly impactful from like a more technical side of things with coaching and, and specifically with Um, The baseball side of things is not so much the strength conditioning side of things.
1: It's incredible the amount of stuff you've already done, and you're just 35 years old. I say that with the utmost respect. We got some, we got a couple powerhouses in here. We got the SEC with LSU. We got the ACC with the U with you and Scott. So I got it. That's interesting between the football and the baseball there (laughs) with you two. I went to the University of Colorado, which is a beautiful campus. We'll leave it at that. All right. I want to know. I want to know if you two who would who could bench more because I swear to you, when you got on here, Rachel, I was like, she is freaking ripped, and I knew that obviously strength and conditioning you're a very athletic person. You're very, you know, but I was like, mercy, but I don't know if you know about this, Scott Braun, he tries to hide it sometimes, but if you go on his Instagram, little Scotty B is pretty ripped too. So at some point, maybe after winter meetings, when you're on your six week vacation, we could set up some (laughs) sort of like obstacle course or bench press between the two of you. I I'd be interesting to interested to see who would actually win that.
0: Uh, and I've gone down. I can tell. I can add to this too, Rachel. I've definitely gone downhill since my. my I'm. I am past my prime in my mid thirties because I used to do. It was like five by fives with reps. You would max out. I, I haven't maxed out in many years at this point. I've gone down significantly. weight up in reps. A lot of that actually has to do with working at MLB network and being around certain producers. There's one in particular who stands out, who has, who uh, he's not there anymore, but he had so many issues with his body and he was a big weightlifter and he just scared the crap out of me from doing what (laughs) I'm doing. So I like have significantly downgraded, but in my, yeah, in my heyday, uh, max bench definitely was at least in the mid two hundreds to close to upper two hundred, And I, and
1: I, and I bring this up Rachel, because I know that weight training is so much more prevalent now in baseball. It's not just about, you know, pitching, it's about, it's not just about hitting and hand eye coordination, but the, the weight training, particularly lower body. I know a lot of pitchers are starting to, to lift more weight. So how do you balance that with the need to kind of look at each person's body to make sure that they're not only developing in terms of the game, but physically developing the way that they should be? Yeah, you know, there's definitely many schools of thought in strength and conditioning.
2: I would say, uh, I mean, I'm like split down the middle. You know, I have a degree, uh, one of my degrees is, is very heavy into biomechanics, and I'm definitely a movement nerd and understand how important that is and how important that is for a person's health. Um, I also understand how important velocity is pitching and I understand how important exit velocity is in hitting. Um, in fact, it's in my opinion, one of the most important things. And so if you're stronger, likely you're going to be able to hit the ball harder. That's not always the case in pitching. I think that there's definitely a separation. If I had to tell a hitter about strength conditioning, I would be like, put on 30 pounds now. You know, it's, it's, And definitely like, um, even when you consider someone getting too bulky, I don't really think that's I don't think that's as much of a concern I'll say with position players as it is with pitchers. Um, There's definitely a a high, high movement, like the movement component of pitching is so much different than position players. I mean, you definitely see, like, we've got a player on our team right now who's uh, definitely skin and bones and he throws 95. So, you know, it's like, can you really say that that gaining more weight and and getting stronger is going to help you with velocity and pitching? There's a lot more involved with mechanics Uh, and movement in that area. So I kind of just gave you a roundabout answer, but I think uh, both are important. However, I'm definitely, I would say leaning 60, 40 on the side of get strong, especially, (laughs) especially for young people, you know, it's different when you are an older player, a veteran player, but like for young people coming up, it's like, dude, put on 20 pounds, you know, and at least that's going to help you in that stage of your development. Um, and I still think at this age 20 to 25, where where players are still really physically developing, it's it's hugely important. And the
0: weightlifting's different too. I mean, I can so I remember, for example, I was in I broadcast in the Cape Cod baseball league for a couple of seasons and I'd go to the gym every day with a bunch of players, but I would work out on my own because I'm doing like the I I was done. I'm I mean, I played in high school, not even baseball, mostly basketball, but I was like, I'm I'm just working out to stay in shape and all of that. These guys are very specific with their routines. And I, like you said, I think they were mostly in the train of thought. The pitchers were definitely different, but the position players were trying to bulk up, but they still weren't doing the exact same. It wasn't like the, the beach bod kind of workout going on. So the difference, and I bring this up because, and people can probably dive into this as much as they want, um, like on Google, but there there have been like football strength coaches that have been hired in the baseball world. And sometimes there's a lot of debate over, hey, like, baseball is a different type of lift and you could get hurt. So is that true in your mind or is it all kind of similar? I mean, obviously you're not just ripping, you know, bench press and bicep curls and stuff, but, but you're saying that stuff can be super helpful too.
2: Um, Oh man, this is a whole, new I know podcast. it's a deep dive. <laughs> um, I didn't know I we're was, going here, if but I, I was like running it. the world. Here's the thing you have to think about is, uh, yeah, again, I'm going to try to keep this very short. All those very difficult for me. I'm very passionate about it, and I, I love strength and conditioning for a reason in professional baseball, but if you just think about it like this, like if for some reason football fell off the face of the earth, and we got all, and all of the football athletes that you see, those ginormous bodies who are just like mur- almost murdering people, you know, uh, some reason they didn't have football to go to, right? And let's just say basketball fell off the face of the earth, and we got all of these six, seven, seven foot dudes uh, playing baseball, what you would have is, all baseball would look like Stan and judge.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's the, so, that's the model. That's what, that's like the, that's what you want to look like basically.
2: Well, I mean, just look at them and look at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. So when you make an argument of, well, baseball players don't need to lift that heavy and they don't need to weigh that much and they don't need to be that strong. It's more about movement. I'm going to call bullshit on that. Like just look I at just the most want, successful player. Look at Mike Trout. Look at the most I successful player. I just want Tristan in
1: McKenzie of the guardians. I just want Tristan McKenzie to eat a hamburger. I'm oh, like, I, at- I'm like, I weigh more than that kid. I know I do. I must look He's at so, Otani, I mean call, look at Trout, look at
2: Stanton, look at Judge. So look at the largest athletes in our sport. It doesn't mean that smaller athletes can't be successful. But if we, for some reason, football fell off the face of the earth and the NBA fell off the face of the earth, aka the Dominican Republic, is what I just said. Those sports don't exist. So they get all of the first-class athletes in the Dominican Republic play baseball mm-hmm. the first class a- class athletes people are going to get upset by me saying this most of the first class athletes the biggest strongest athletes self select into football and basketball in the United yep. States of America
0: Julio Rodriguez is six four six five he's fast as anybody and and he's still growing into his body we'll he's probably O'Ne- gonna get even bigger
1: O'Neal Cruz if he puts on some weight oh mercy
0: yeah that's a great call I love all that that makes sense I have so I have two two more things before we go. One is just going back to this is a, a different kind of strength, but the futures game. It's the first time I spoke to Rachel. We were on the air, but I, I'm sure you remember uh what, what was it? The first inning, Rachel is smoked by a foul ball as a base coach. And like, and we have her mic'd up. So the whole experience runs through and it's just perfect. Like the moment the background in strength and conditioning just being like whatever like just like took it like nothing and was just like let's go let's keep going I mean I've seen some <gasps> base coaches get smoked and they're down for a while
2: <laughs> I mean did you really think I was going to collapse on live television no, like no you you're not allowed to then it's like oh yeah like this is why you can't have women in, yep. in baseball like exactly. come on you're, you're not just, allowed to you just can't also it's just like my mistake I was way too close you know it was just, I just had to wear it you know what are you gonna do <laughs>
0: It is amazing. Um, okay. So I just wanted to get that out there. Cause I wanted everyone to know the toughness factor there too. Like on. I don't think anybody TV, questions
1: her toughness at this point.
0: No, no. But if you want to look back for some quick visual evidence of like in game, like what the heck um, <laughs> I felt the pain and I had to keep broadcasting. So yeah. uh, l- lastly, in terms of just getting back to career and, and everything you're doing so far, j- simply put for me goals, what, what goals are there for you? Uh, You know, you've been in the game now for a while, you've done so many different things. Is it as simple as I want to be a big league manager? Um, Is there more?
2: Uh, I want to be a general manager. So I think that I'll be in coaching for, I don't know. I'm not going to put a timeline on it. You know, I really just don't know. I I think when I became a hitting coach, I was like, yeah, one to two years. And now this is like year four or whatever, after I said that. So um, I think that, general manager is like the North Star, and I don't know where that's gonna take me or when. Um, could be 10 to 15 years from now, and that's fine. I'm not really worried about it. I'm worried about um, being able to win for a very long period of time when I get to that role. I'm not worried about getting there fast. you know. And so all of these experiences, I just keep collecting tools, um, keep collecting a deeper understanding of the game. And more importantly, I think a deeper understanding of player development and how, what it would take to create um, the machine you know, that pumps out players at a, at a lower cost is really what that means is using your player development system to develop players and not buy them, uh, which I, is, I laugh. I say that tongue in cheek because I'm in the Yankees organization. Yeah, <laughs> <You both. laughs> <laughs> you no, know, but I do. but I, I give credit to the Yankees for, for so long, having that um, you know, having that philosophy and now we're changing, you know, and I don't know if that means that you're going to see more of our player development system be in the big leagues, but more so like using our player development system to develop players so that in even in trade situations, we can get more out of our, our player development system. So even with the Yankees who are known for purchasing players instead of developing them, we are doing a lot more intensive development to the credit of Kevin Reese and, and Cashman and Hal for setting that up, if for nothing else, to make sure that we can get the most out of our trades. Yeah. So really using player development as a tool to create a successful organization as a whole Um, is what I'm, I'm passionate about learning about. And so hopefully all these experiences that I'm gaining strength coach, hitting coach, now manager will make me a better general manager in the future. So GM
0: over manager though, if you had one, I mean, obviously I'm sure you'd you'd love to experience both, but GM, the manager is
2: not, the manager is not in charge.
0: Yeah.
2: I want to be like the head coach of a baseball organization is the general manager. It's not the manager. And I don't think any major league manager would be offended by me saying that. I think that those positions are critical for leadership of clubhouse, et cetera, like hundred percent critical. It's really important that you have the right leader over the major league team, Um, but they're not calling the shots, you know, from a macro level perspective. And so I want to be calling the shots, you know, like I want to create systemic change over the course of it, over the spectrum of the entire organization. And a major league manager doesn't do that. So a major league manager is still left at the mercy of whatever the organization wants to do to develop players, to get players, et cetera, and then they're just handed the team. And like it's critical that you have an, an incredible leader in that role. However, they're not they're not picking the players, they're not deciding how those players are developed or grown in the in the system. And so a player might come up from AAA or A, AA and it's like, what were you doing, you know? And now now we have you here, or like wow, phenomenal, but like making those decisions that affect the entire organization. Um, And frankly, creates some systemic change in the game of professional baseball, the business of professional baseball, I should say, Uh, that happens at at a much higher level than major league manager. So ultimately, I want to be calling the shots. I want to be the head coach of an organization. And that right now is the general manager position. It's not the major league manager
1: position. Yeah, just ask Joe Girardi, Joe Madden, and uh, Chris Woodward. All right, last question <laughs> from me, um, if you don't mind, Rachel. I probably should have asked this at the beginning. We're kind of going backwards a little bit, but born in Omaha, Nebraska, not a place that has Major League uh, Baseball. Um, I was born in Colorado. We didn't have Major League Baseball until 1993. Where did the love of the game come from?
2: Um, so when I was, uh, yeah, I mean, the game, The game to me is like softball and baseball. I know that baseball people probably don't think this, but softball and baseball are more or less the same. Like I've loved being at a field in a dugout for a long time. You know, it was definitely a love of mine playing softball growing up and obviously going on and playing in college was the dream. And, you know, because there is no dream beyond college, really still uh, not so much for professional softball players. So anyway, um, that love has been since I was young but like you mentioned, I didn't grow up. I really did not grow up a baseball fan because um, in Omaha, the baseball you know fanatics were college world series fans, right. which just means right. you you know you go to the college world series and experience that. Um, so anyway, I, I really didn't professional baseball did not come on my radar until I was at LSU and actually was just seeing a lot of the LSU players and just like my friends from college were going on and playing and then coming back in the off season and, you know, regaling us with stories of like hot dogs after the game and being <laughs> at the local YMCA and the minor league system and the Latin players and all of this stuff. And I was like, I, you know, I just the casual person does not understand the layers of minor league baseball. You know, even being a college athlete and college softball player, I didn't understand, you know, the connection between Latin America and American players and how they just intersect in low a and all of the different uh, factors that go into that. So I think that the, the interest in again, the business of professional baseball really came when I understood the minor league system. Um, and that's really what my passion still lies in it, is understanding the entire organization and not, I'm not just a, a fan of, of a major league baseball team. And I think that's also why I'm not really, being on a major league staff is not a, a box that I need to check, although it might be a step in my career. Um, I'm not you know, about the glitz and the glam, it's, it's the entire organization that I'm fascinated by and really want to you know, sink my teeth into.
0: You've got it all going. I mean, this is like everything coming together for you and what you're doing right now. Just basically, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I I mean, such a pleasure. Obviously, I had like a very brief interview last time for the Futures Games. This was really cool to dive into everything that you've done so far. Awesome interview. And also current GMs have to do that all the time. So you'll be very well prepared. I mean, yeah. she well, well questions earned. with the best well of earned. them. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope we don't edit out a couple of cuss words because I'm all about that too. And it's a podcast. So authenticity is also key these days. I'm all about it. So cheers to everything you're doing for the Yankees, for young players, and of course, for women in sports, Rachel. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you all. Thank you very much for having thank me on. Thank you, Rachel. Best of luck the rest of the way.
0: I could do like a 30 minute recap of that one. I mean, we, we could just go over the the bench press competition. That's an episode in itself. But no, seriously, I, I think w- we went into this interview saying, hey, we want to get into all kinds of other topics with her. And we did. But then for her to also circle back and say, no, this is also my job that I need to do interviews. I need to take the extra time. To talk to people because of who I am and because there haven't been many like me, you know, there there are, of course, not nearly enough um, women in baseball in general, especially in jobs like what Rachel's doing. And she's really the first of her kind. But I I thought that was cool, too, where she she didn't brush it away. In fact, she kind of doubled down on it.
1: I think you give her a lot of credit for not feeling like she's constantly being badgered by it because I can, I can speak from personal experience that sometimes when you're the first in something, you just want to be able to move on. So it's not something That is so foreign and it just becomes normal, but she understands her role and to much to whom much is given much is expected and I think she knows that better than anybody I still can't get past the fact I can't even pronounce the university that she went to uh, in the (laughs) Netherlands, and this woman has done so much at such a young age and I am so grateful to have heard her insight and I can't wait to see where she continues to go. I love the fact, Scott, that she said, if I have to, if I get to manage or I've earned the right to manage in the big leagues, that's one thing, but she wants to be the boss. And I love that. She wants to be the GM managing in the big leagues is not enough for Rachel Balkovic.
0: I love that too. Yeah. Eclectic resume. So, and that's how you get there, especially, I mean, you want to be a really unique candidate to run a front office. You do what she's done because she's seen it all. And now she's really, deep into the player development side right now of actually managing a ball club where it's all about learning and getting to the next level. So, all right, next up for us this week in baseball, Labor Day weekend coming up, let's do September 2, 1991. And the reason I picked this or at least partially is because we have a guest coming up. I'll throw the name out. I mean Jim Abbott's going to be on the list pretty soon. So look out for him and, and his story, but uh, September 2, 91, you have three months after an operation that replaced a vein in his arm with one from his leg. And I'm not going to try yeah. and play doctor, but White Sox pitcher Roberto Hernandez holds Kansas City hitless six innings, uh, finally gives up a double in the seventh, but that's the only hit he gives up in a win over Kansas City. In that same game, you have the Bo Jackson comeback. From, you know, one of the most, I guess, gruesome, especially back in the day, images and videos that you'll see when he w- it was a football injury that that was absolutely devastating to the sports world because of who he was, but he also came back in that one. So some serious adversity in that game.
1: Some miracles of modern medicine too. what they were able to do even then is incredible, but that those two men were even walking, let alone playing uh, the sports that they were able to play respectively and talk about adversity and coming back and making a statement both of those uh, players that you referenced. Have done it. And I love the fact, obviously, Bo Jackson, a multi-sport professional athlete, you know, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, who's still in our business today uh, with the Atlanta Braves, just tremendous what they were able to do. And I love the stories of adversity, Scott. One thing, it's hard enough to get to the big leagues. It's harder to stay. But when you have to overcome physical adversity to where you have a unique situation with your own body and you end up picking a sport that involves um. Limbs that you don't have and you excel at it, that's pretty incredible. And that's what Jim Abbott has done.
0: and I'll do so. Can't wait to talk to Jim and I'll do one plug. Looking back, episode 17, July 27th, Brian Jordan. That was Will Clark and Brian Jordan, but Brian Jordan, if you want to hear more about his story as well. I mean, Will Clark 16. is the reason
1: Clayton Kershaw's number 22. He was his favorite player.
0: There you go. And also, big year for Will. I mean, he had his big speech and the retirement and the whole deal. So, yeah, Will. Will's a very interesting interview, too, and doing a lot um, after baseball. So so make sure you, you can rack those back anytime you want. Lounge is closed. See you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at at MLBPAA.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.